This is the Immigration Conversation presented by Fragman, a series of talks and discussions by leading immigration lawyers and professionals from around the world. We'll bring you the most up-to-date business immigration news, issues of concern, and strategies in the world of global immigration and mobility. Hi, this is Christine Sullivan, and I'm here with Andrea Gimish, and we're really excited to welcome you to the Immigration Conversation. In this, the latest conversation and maybe the last conversation of the year, as we're sitting here in um, one of the last business weeks of 2020, we are going to discuss what else the end of the Brexit transition period. Andrea and I are based in Brussels, and we are really focused on what is the end of the Brexit transition going to mean for companies who are working in the European Union, and most more specifically for their UK nationals who are coming over. Now, there's so much to discuss right now. We are only days away from the transition period, and uh, in the newspaper today, the EU is even saying we are hours away. Of course, we've heard this before, but we really are hours away from whether there's going to be a trade agreement, again, a deal or a no-deal Brexit. We're facing COVID. Businesses are trying to understand how do they get ready for the end of the Brexit transition period? What is this going to mean for their uh, commuters, their business travelers, their new recruits, what to expect for 20 2021 and how to add this to the complexity that we're all working under with COVID restrictions, COVID travel bans, and quarantines. So there's a a lot to unpack, isn't there, Andrea? And it feels like um, Brexit has kind of been the tie that binds us. Before we were getting ready for this podcast, we were discussing the fact that even our very first conversation together before you worked at Fragman was about Brexit. And I I feel like every conversation since has sort of had that that common thread. Um, We've certainly been talking about deal or no deal for a really long time. We talked about it at the beginning of the year, and here we are talking about it at the end of the year. Can you just sort of clarify what the no deal we're talking about today is and how it's different from what we were talking about at the beginning of the year? Yeah, thank you very much, Christine. And indeed, these are uh, fond memories for me, too, when I joined the firm. And the first thing you asked me to do was to write the client alert on Brexit. So here we are, four years later, discussing the exact same topic from a different perspective now. Um, indeed, going back to your question about deal and no deal, uh, we've been hearing this, so this sounds like uh, a deja vu for a lot of people, and a lot of people are confused because this terminology has already been used back in 2018 and 2019 when we were uh, discussing the exit of the UK from the European Union. At that time, we were using this deal-no-deal deal terminology to refer to the fact um, that maybe or maybe not a withdrawal agreement would be adopted by the UK at the moment of uh, its exit from the European Union. Um, It was a happy ending story at that time. We ended up with a deal, a withdrawal agreement that is now currently being implemented by uh, EU member states. But now again, we're talking about a deal or a no deal scenario. So what does this mean? This time we're talking about another deal. We're talking about a trade deal. And the difference between this withdrawal agreement and the trade deal is that the trade deal will focus on um, basically 
developing a framework a future framework in which uh, the EU and the UK will uh, collaborate uh, as of 2021. We don't know if this time we're going to end up in a happy ending story or not a happy ending story, but uh, we will probably find this out in the next hours or maybe in the next days. Um, so we were talking about this withdrawal agreement, Christine. Um, could you please explain us what this withdrawal agreement uh, stands for, who it protects, and what can the people who are protected by it do um, in January 2021 to secure their rights? Yeah, it's really important that we not just look at the agreement that's being discussed right now, but we look back at that withdrawal agreement because that withdrawal agreement is the one that actually gave protections to UK nationals living and in some cases working in the EU and then vice versa, the EU nationals who are all over there in the UK. And this agreement has been critical in making sure that those rights are protected in the same way across all of the European countries. And it also gave us the gift of the transition period that we're actually still in. And it meant that companies and citizens had an additional year to um, arrive in the EU, to take registration steps, to do all of the necessary things to protect rights. And one of the really important things to pay attention to um, for everybody, a UK national or their employer, coming towards the end of 2020 is to make sure that those necessary registrations were done to make sure that rights are going to be protected. So if a UK national has even arrived in the EU this week, I mean, this has all been really complicated and confused by um, the fact that we're all working remotely and a lot of moves have stopped. But UK nationals are still coming to the EU. And if it's possible to make sure that the registrations are done, to set appointments for registrations, to take those actions that signify I am one of those UK nationals who is in the EU before the end of the transition period and is protected under with the withdrawal agreement, because that means that once 2021 comes around, we're then in the position where countries will start to issue residence permits that are called Article 50 residence permits. Now, Article 50 is sort of the, the, the piece of law under which Brexit was triggered, and that name is now being very um, appropriately, I guess, applied to residence permits. And in each country that is issuing residence permits, this notation is going to be on there. Um, and it's going to be important that companies are ensuring that their staff are collecting these permits, um, putting copies into their records so that in future instances of audit, there's a right to work trail and that um, it, it's just clear that every single one of the UK nationals has done the steps that they need to do to get these permits on time. Now, it was going to be that there was a, there's an element of the withdrawal agreement that said that the countries have to be issuing these no less than six months after the end of the transition period. So sort of that June 2020 deadline. COVID has meant that a lot of countries don't even have their processes ready to go or even enunciated out to people so that they know how to follow the steps. So it's going to be a rolling admission process in 2021. It's going to be a process of understanding what's available in which countries, how to do it. But it's going to be really, really important that companies are um, getting these residence permits and that UK nationals are protecting their rights. And Andrea, um, before we go back to the trade agreement, 
government, let's also just pause on frontier workers who are causing so much trouble right now. There is this very small, it's really only sentences in the withdrawal agreement that says it's not just the right to reside, but it's also the right to work that's protected under the withdrawal agreement. If there are not that many processes in place to protect residence permits, there's even less on these frontier workers. And we've been seeing uh, just a rush of companies to try to understand what do we do about frontier workers or even what is a frontier worker in the different countries. And I feel like this is going to be an ongoing discussion when we all return to work in January and we see sort of how com- how different countries have come out on the frontier workers and the permissions for those frontier workers to continue to commute in from the U.K., Now, those are open questions from the withdrawal agreement, but we were talking about the trade agreement. So um, we've been saying a little bit that where we come with a deal or a no deal doesn't really impact a lot of these residence permit rights or work permit rights. But I know, Andrea, there are other aspects under the trade agreement that do impact companies who we're working with in a really serious way um, in other aspects of moving people across borders. What to expect there? Yes, yes, certainly. Um, I I think that you are you are referring to social security aspect. But before that, I would really like to emphasize that I'm happy you raised the issue of frontier workers. It is indeed one of the topics that clients have been reaching out to us um, very much in the in the last days, and we're struggling um, and also launching our government strategies to make sure that as many UK nationals who are in the situation are protected and benefit from the rights that are secured in the withdrawal agreement. So I'm really happy you mentioned that, Christine. Um, Now back to your question, indeed, next to the trade agreement that is being negotiated currently between the UK and the EU, we do have another very, very important topic that is being discussed, which is the aspect of social security. Because at the end of the transition period, not only the free movement of uh, EU citizens will stop, but also other uh, coordination rules amongst the EU and the UK. And most importantly for companies, um, this is related to social security. You've talked, Christine, about what UK nationals uh, can do to protect their rights, what kind of steps they can take um, to benefit from the withdrawal agreement protection. But let's just also look at what companies should really pay attention to at the beginning of next year um, in terms of the the possible cost that um, Brexit and the end of the transition period could mean for them from a social security perspective. Um, So in terms of uh, this social security coordination, which will stop, there are several um, possibilities um, at the beginning of next year. There will be either a new legal framework between the EU and the UK negotiated in terms of social security um, or a new legal framework which will be negotiated between the UK and individual member states to ensure some sort of social security coordination. Now, what does that mean in practice? It means that, for instance, UK nationals who go on assignments from the UK, who are locally employed in the UK and go on an assignment in an EU country, 
can remain affiliated to the Social Security in the UK. This means at a practical level, they will not have to pay Social Security costs um, in the host country of their assignment in the EU. This is very important because this saves a lot of costs for um, UK companies, um, especially taking into consideration, of course, that um, EU countries, especially, let's give the example of France, have a very high social security costs. So, as I said, we may end up in a position where we have an, uh, an agreement between the UK and the EU, but we also may end up in a position where we have bilateral agreements on social security between the UK and individual member states or no agreement at all, which means that social security uh, affiliation will have to happen in the host EU country where the UK national is being assigned. So this is really a red flag for companies and definitely something that we need to keep an eye on at the beginning of 2021. But you've heard me speak about country by country approach in terms of social security. And I think in terms of immigration, Christine, uh, this will be even more uh, important. What do you expect? What do you think um, are the aspects in terms of immigration that companies will be facing challenges with the most uh, in terms of this country by country approach starting with January of next year? Yeah, I mean, super interesting. You're, you're so right to call out the Social Security cost planning, which is something that we've been working on. And I know, Andrea, that we've spent a lot of time working with clients to help them understand what all the differences are across the different countries with the immigration schemes, with how it works. I mean, it would be sort of a nightmare to have to replicate that also with Social Security. What I find really interesting as we get towards the end of the transition period and we really get to that one cliff moment, Andrea, is that we for years were mapping out what would be the impact of all of the different immigration schemes? How would you get permits? Where would you get residence permits? Where would you get work permits? And what mm-hmm. it really comes down to, right, it's, it, it, it's not the complexity in all of the different countries. It's not that there's going to be all of these different complex rules. It's about the gaps between the rules. So if I look at where we are right now and when the clients reach out to us and what we're advising on and the emails that we're receiving, we're actually talking about where the immigration rules aren't meeting, right? And where it's, yeah. it's like, okay, so for the residents, they're covered on under Article 50. For the future recruits, they're going to be covered under the immigration rules that are really based on taking residence in a country. But the gaps are for the U.K. nationals who remain in the U.K., who are not in the EU, but continue to come over here working, right? So it's like a bit outside of our immigration rules. And it feels like where we're going to start in January is um, with all of the U.K. nationals who remain in the U.K. and whose activities, whose travel patterns, whose work requirements just aren't aligning with those immigration rules that we've been mapping and we've been discussing and we've been holding out with our clients. Okay, look, these are the rules in all of the different countries where you're going to be impacted. So I think, Andrea, if we start to say, what are we going to be working on at the beginning of 2021? It's a lot like that social security cost planning. It's about where are you going to have gaps? 
who are the people who are not going to actually have immigration rules that are going to cover what they're doing and what are we going to do about it? And it really goes also to something that you called out, which is government strategies, because it's going to be very important um, for us to hold up to the different national immigration policymakers and show, look, what Brexit has really shown is that these gaps in the immigration rules, which, to be honest, actually apply to all non-EU nationals, right? So business travelers and commuters, this is a bit of a problem for companies who are doing business from everywhere around the world. But Brexit really shows where immigration schemes haven't caught up with the modern travel and work uh, uh, patterns of our clients. So, I mean, and I think if we're going to talk about um, if we're going to talk about complexity, we've talked about social security, we're talking about commuters, we're talking about moving across borders, then we have to use those two words that are always troublesome in the EU, which is posted workers, right? Because, Andrea, it's not just about the freedom of movement of people. There are other freedoms that are lost when the EU citizenship falls behind, and that would definitely be freedom to provide services. So let me give you the difficult task of talking about post workers, <laughs> post workers and Brexit all together. Thank you, Christine. Challenge accepted. <laughs> the key word that you've been using in, in, in uh, yeah, previously were, were gaps. This is exactly the word that we will start using for the free provision of services and posting of workers from the UK to the EU as of January 2021. Now, why is that? So if you end the free movement of people, the immediate consequence of this will be the fact that um, you will harm the free provision of services. Um, in most of the circumstances, we all know that if you want to deliver a service to a client, that means that a person, one of your employees, has to travel to that client and deliver that service. So we cannot talk about free movement of free provision of services without talking about free movement of people. We have a lot, a lot of clients who are um, asking about what will happen to their employees who are traveling to the EU, for instance, for um, installation, maintenance, repair work? Well, of course, we don't have good news for, for them because free provision of services, even though um, it will be tackled in the future trade agreement, let's assume that we will have one, and if we want to be very, very optimistic that we will have one in place at the beginning of next year, although this is very unlikely, the free provision of services will not be as free as it was before. That's for sure. This means that um, even if we have this agreement in place, we will still be looking at filing applications, filing work permit applications for um, UK nationals who are traveling to EU countries to provide services to um, our clients' clients, let's say like that. Um, we will also be looking, of course, at filing posted worker notifications, uh, the rules for UK nationals as non-EU nationals in terms of filing posted worker notifications will change. Uh, but will still be there. And again, once again, we will be looking at a country-by-country country approach. I think this is another key term, term that we will have to <laughs> keep in our minds um, as of January 2021. There's two words already, and then 
their posted workers and country by country approach. Um, however, this year has brought a new uh, and significant challenge with which is the COVID-19 virus and all the travel restrictions that have been um, the consequence of this of this virus. Um, in the end, um, in these last months, we've seen less postings and less business travel than we were used to in the past, isn't it, Christine? Uh, so can you please tell us what to expect in terms of um, restrictions, travel restrictions due to COVID-19 uh, for UK nationals? Because this will also change now that the UK nationals will no longer benefit from the free movement of um, EU citizens. Yeah, no, this is such an important point, and this brings us back a bit to where we started, Andrea, when we said we're in a bit of a perfect storm here as we're helping our clients uh, face the end of the Brexit uh, transition period and the freedom of movement rights, and then also questioning what does this mean as far as the ability to travel during COVID travel restrictions? Um, we saw in the press that there were a lot of reports that the EU would be banning British travelers. Mm -hmm. Now, let's just clarify, right? It's not actually that the EU has put out a ban that's specific to UK travelers. It's more about the fact that there has been an exemption to our travel ban for EU nationals. So, you know, an EU national is exempt from a restriction at the border. And because the transition period had that extra time in which a UK national is treated in the same way as an EU citizen, UK travelers have been coming across the border, even though there's been a ban in place. So it's less about putting a ban out there for UK travelers. And it's more about, well, if nothing is negotiated, when January 1st comes around and those EU exemptions fall away for just everything, do they also fall away to the COVID travel ban? And of course, we've had to tell our clients, because you have to prepare for the worst, that what could happen on January 1st is not only are you trying to figure out how to make sure that somebody is work and, uh, and stay compliant, but what about the entry aspect? And it really has now become a juggling act with our clients to try to figure out, okay, how are you going to make sure people can do their work, but also how are you going to be able to make sure that they can arrive and do their work? And this is really tricky because for the most part, the ban is um, applicable to, to short visits. So things like business visits and business travelers. And um, a lot of our pre-planning for Brexit, if we look back at for a year or two ago, right, Andrea, what we were mapping is do business traveler exemptions apply to the things that your commuters are coming in to do in the EU. So if we set a plan a year ago before COVID was in place, we would have said, how much of these activities can you compliantly do under a business traveler exemption? And now COVID is a bit upsetting that planning. Now, it may seem that if a ban is in place, right, Andrea, that a ban is a ban, but why am I sort of making this difference between a business traveler and a work permit holder? Because there is a difference, right, and it comes from, from the EU framework and, and the recommendations from the EU. Yeah, thanks, Christine. I think it's very important indeed that we clarify this aspect because we've seen in the media that UK nationals now consider that they will be restricted, that the EU is making a move against the UK to restrict the travel from the UK. But basically what is happening is simply that the UK will just 
um, be treated in the same way as all the other uh, non-EU countries. And this means they will be either on the list of safe countries, which will probably not happen given the fact that their um, infection rates are quite high, or not on this list of safe countries. Now, what does it mean in practice is that if they are on the, if they're not on this list of safe countries, only essential travel will be um, allowed from the UK to the EU. And by essential travel, we mean, uh, of course, family members of EU citizens or frontier workers, but very, very importantly, highly qualified people. Uh, whose employment is necessary and uh, very important from an economic perspective. These are the rules now that allow non-EU nationals, these categories of non-EU nationals and a few others, to entry um, in the European Union. Um, if you remember well, at the beginning of the year when um, the travel banning to the EU was um, absolute, so no one could enter, uh, just very, very few categories. Um, it was quite problematic for a lot of our clients. Um, we also uh, managed to negotiate this kind of uh, exemptions for highly skilled um, employed, in, uh, employed um, people to be able to enter in the, in the EU. And um, we were very happy when the European Commission had um, followed our um, recommendation because it had become such a huge issue for, for our clients. Um, now, Christine, I'm going to just give you back the word, uh, if you could summarize a little bit what we have uh, discussed during this podcast and what, um, what our listeners should take as a message for 2021, what to expect when we come back to work in January. Um, yeah, what is what are the key messages, Christine? Thank you, Andrea. Yeah, it's time to wrap up. Well, I, I think there's a lot to say, and I think we'll probably have to get together and have another podcast discussion to see in what direction things have gone in January, right? Because between now and then, we could have a deal. We could not have a deal. We'll see what happens with the Social Security element. But there are absolutely some steps that any client can take right now and any UK national can take right now. And that would be, one, make sure that registrations are done. Make sure that if there's somebody who's working regularly in the UK, you've thought about how you can protect that. And then I think in the beginning of January, we're really going to have to see what has been the outcome on this discussion on COVID, um, that's going to make a big determination on whether clients use that wonderful, favorable exemption for highly skilled workers that you mentioned, Andrea, or whether we have to make a new arrangement for things like business travel and commuters. Um, it's a very volatile time. There's a lot of things changing. I would say that the first thing for anybody to pay attention to going into 2021 is um, doing their Social Security cost planning. That's key. And paying really close attention to the short-term work visits. Short-term work visits are problematic. Let's all work together on one, seeing where there are um, work permit solutions, and two, raise these examples up to the different governments because there are just too many gaps and the gaps become visible once the Brexit transition period ends. So, Andrea, thank you so much for taking your time out for the holiday break. 
super glad that you and I had this moment together. I mean, we're both calling in from our respective homes, but we've been together on Brexit, and it would have been a shame not to have this one final conversation before the end of the transition period. So thanks a lot. Thank you very much. We'll discuss again in the new normal come January. And thanks to everybody who listened, and we wish everybody a good, healthy end of the year. The Immigration Conversation Podcast is presented by Fragment, the leading firm dedicated exclusively to immigration services worldwide. This episode is current as of the date of recording. With frequent changes in global immigration, be sure to keep up to date by visiting our website at www.fragamin.com and subscribing to the Immigration Conversation on your favorite podcast service to hear the latest episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice or give rise to an attorney-client relationship between any listener and our firm. If you have any questions, please contact the Global Immigration Professional with whom you work at Fragamin.